With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. This, this, this is, is, Fight Disciples. We are gathered here today for the Fight Disciples. Welcome to episode 173 of the Fight Disciples podcast. It's an absolute pleasure once again to be in your company. If this is the first time that you have ever uh, stumbled across us, you can get us on iTunes, Fight Disciples. You can get us on our website, fightdisciples.com, just in case you use Android. And we're all over social media at this moment in time, at Fight Disciples on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. That little noise that you heard in the background there was obviously a little bit of housekeeping uh, from my cleaner, uh, Nick <laughs> Pete, deciding to clean up as we started recording. Could you yeah, he could have done it before the show. <laughs> But no, he just thought to himself, do you know something? While he's rabbiting on about giving the plugs for the show, I'm going to <laughs> cup of tea. I'm gonna get the Uber out. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> you well? I'm good, man. Yeah, good. What I'm going to say for the kids, kids have been sick all weekend. Had a terrible weekend up to my eyeballs in snot and vomit. Nice. So, yeah, if uh, you're wondering what that big yellow, white, big white crusty stain is on my arm, it looks like my son wiped his nose on my sleeve just before I left the house. Nothing so. more frustrating than when you've just put on some new togs, you're off to work or something like that, and you're... Uh, and your little one comes over and decides, for the hug. yeah, just you know, and you're like, oh, nice like, hug yeah, exactly. That. I'll give you a little kiss on your yeah. way out. No, you're not come for a kiss, have you? You come to get rid of your boggies, you dirty little pig. Get exactly. back in the bloody, get back in the house. What are you doing to me? I've got a meeting today. <laughs> Explain. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing. Explaining that to like people like bank managers and stuff like that when you go meet them and you just follow like it looks like you have got slug trail all over your top. <laughs> exactly. Look yeah. at this scruffy. I'm not lending him any money. Look at this scruffy. That's not mine. That's me three year old sons. <sighs> Anyway, there you go. We're all in the same boat, aren't we? We're all fight disciples. We Mate. love the score. This is our this is our uh, respite. We come out here for a rest, absolutely, for a little bit of a chat about absolutely. people punching each other in the face. That's what we come for. How jacked are you this week, though? How jacked? Oh, are mate, I'm you? Listen, up. that cruiserweight tournament was the shit, and now we've got two weeks back to back of the super middleweight tournament, featuring tons of British fighters as well. Mm. I am so excited for this week in Manchester. Don't think I've ever been excited this excited to go to Manchester in my entire life. What are you talking about, man? It's the, it's the city of gods. This is where we all reside. You need to get down that M62 a little bit more often, sunshine. Breathe some of that proper fresh air. That's what you need to be doing. Get it in your life. It's always raining. No wrong with that. It's always raining in Manchester. But look at the faces on the people, eh? Always happy. <laughs> always happy. Them most of them are drunk or on drugs. Mm. Did you watch uh, Roy Jones Jr., by the way, on UFC Fight Pass last Thursday? I did. I didn't watch it live. Um, I why, uh, why on earth not? You I almost did. have forgot. <laughs> I didn't bring myself to that. But uh, but yeah, I watched it. Listen, I'm just glad he signed off with a win, you know. He's had what do you mean of... signed off? He's going into the UFC <laughs> now, you bellend. <laughs> he's had a couple of <laughs> retirements before, hasn't he? I've seen that must be at least the third or fourth Roy Jones retirement fight. So at least he got a win on this one. 
And, uh, you know, let's not break that down. Come on. It is what it is. I don't want to break that down. I want to break him down. Did he, has, he terms turned, of, has he turned to his legacy? No, not, well, listen, I, I don't look at his legacy from the last five, six you years. You forgot it? Yeah, you've exactly. got one of them, yeah, uh, men, You've got one of them men in black pens that you know, wipe your memory. You know, when, you, when, you, when we sit down and talk about Muhammad Ali, we don't talk about the last two or three years of his career, do we? We talk about the glory days and the halcyon days and the, the times when he changed the sport. The glory days? The glory days? That's all that's not that's uh, knocking about in your bloody game. And there you go. Yeah. Yeah, we do, to be fair. Of course, and I think Boy Jones, I don't think... Yes, he's he's not tainted his legacy, but I think the last couple of years, you know, he did himself no favours and he took himself out of the equation of greatest of all time because it's hard to say, oh, that guy's greatest of all time when he's fighting and, you know, and getting and getting done in by guys who are less than domestic level. Mm. Um, and he's on this bit of a world tour. But I just think ultimately when we remove Roy Jones from the picture in, in three, four years' time and then forever into the future, people will look back and there is an argument that Roy Jones Jr. was the best ever. Absolutely. If he stops in 2003 when he beats Ruiz to become the heavyweight champion, yeah, he stops with a record of 48-1. and one. Yeah, That one was a disqualification, it wasn't a defeat. It was against uh, Montel Griffin, if you remember. And then in the but then he kills himself by trying to move back down a weight, runs into Antonio Tarver. Well, hang on, will you let me do my oh, speech sorry, on why a... I think he's the greatest of all time? Okay. All right. <laughs> Go for if it. If he finishes in 2003 when he, becomes the he- when he becomes the heavyweight champion, he hasn't moved back down yet, all right? He's just the heavyweight champion in 2003. He finishes with a record of 48-1, and one, that one being a disqualification. Yeah. And that guy that he got disqualified against, Montel Griffin, he came back and smashed him in a round, didn't he? Absolutely. Absolutely. Took him to Chinatown with the kid. He got disqualified, by the way, for whacking him on the deck. I'm all right with that sometimes. Yeah, it's a fight. Mm. Of course it is. Anyway, if he finishes then, we're not even having this debate, mate. We're not even having this debate. We're not even saying, oh, is he this? Is he that? This guy was the best. In the late 80s, early 90s, he was the bollocks. He didn't fight for dollar. He fought just to be the main man. He's yeah. the king of the hill. You want to fight me? Let's have a fight. And I'll absolutely embarrass you. It doesn't matter what weight category. Don't forget, this guy started uh, as an Olympian. When he got robbed as an Olympian and got mm-hmm. a silver medal, he was fighting at 154 pounds was the, was the kid, right? Nobody started at uh, junior middleweight and become the heavyweight champion of the world. Nobody's done that. Not modern day, no, absolutely not. Nobody's ever done junior. Obviously, there's been one that has done it from middleweight through to uh, yeah. through to heavyweight, but then th- this guy was the best of all time. That 15-year spin... Well, wait when, a minute, then you can't call him... You can't say... Was the best of all time. Well, how, does, how do you become? How do you not become the best of all time? You can unsaw it. Is that what you're saying? If you if you're the greatest ever, right? Okay. How then. do you unsaw that? Then? Right then. How okay. do you stop being the greatest but, ever? Right then. Here's the question then for you. How do you judge greatness? Do you judge it um, over an entire career, or do you take a snapshot of prime years? What do you do? How do you judge it? Do you go snapshot of prime years? Greatest of all time, or do you go over a full legacy? Or yeah, over his full seventy odd fights, whatever it, it had. It's got to be the entire package, and you know, and by that I mean, you, we can't take away the last three years because that wasn't the same Roy Jones Jr. That wasn't Superman anymore. We haven't seen Superman for a long time since he had that, you know, that that spell with Tarver and and the Road Warrior and all that, Glenn Johnson fights and whatever else. That was kind of the end for when me. He spanked Hopkins James and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. You know, Calzaghe. Um, they were the tough years, but prior to that, you know... Well, Kazagi was well after, wasn't it? Kazagi yeah, exactly, ended yeah. up beating him. That was a couple of years after Tarver and everything, yet. Yeah. So the peak has got to be when he hits up to the fight with John Ruiz. Right. Do you know what I mean? That's, that was the peak, and then everything after that, he was boiling back. You know, he went back down to light heavyweights. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of bonkers. Um, so, so you go off the full career. 
You go off from start to finish as a pro. Um, yeah? <clears throat> no, I don't. I'm trying to think how, how, how I would do it. You know, I, I look at the greatest of all time being like most people, like Muhammad Ali, but then that's because I'm not taking into a pre... I'm not just looking at him for his boxing career. No, he's transcended I'm looking the sport. for what he did for, the, yeah, for boxing. Listen, there's no question about that. Of course, he transcended the, the sport. What he did for boxing. Well, and so that's why in, in mixed martial arts, just to quickly go on a quick tangent here, I know this is not our MMA show. No, it's not. Conor McGregor, people don't say Conor McGregor's the greatest of all time. And yet, look at what he's done for the sport okay. in terms of taking it, transcending okay. the sport. Well, with that then in mind then, you've got Muhammad Ali, right? Yeah. And then you've got everybody else, right? Yeah. That, that's a given. Everybody that's listening to this show now that's a boxing fan, you've got Muhammad Ali. Leave him on his own. He's, yeah, the, yeah. he's the greatest of all time. Yeah. But then you've got the kind of greatest of all time underneath him, right? Of course. Roy the Jones greatest Ju- technical boxer of right. all time. Roy Jones Jr. is second on that list for me. The GTOAT. <laughs> <laughs> Muhammad Ali, the freak, he's up there on his own, yeah. right? And then underneath him, Roy Jones Jr. tops the list of everybody else for me. Okay. Because I'm taking it as a snapshot of prime years. For example, I don't want to talk about Buster Douglas when I talk about Mike Tyson. No. I don't want to talk about the Evander Holyfield thing when I talk about Mike Tyson. I want to talk about Burbick. That's what I want to talk about. Yeah. I want to talk about being 18 years of age due to 21 years of age when he was the most ferocious man on the planet. That's a snapshot of time. He fought on well past those times. All right? So that's how I judge, for example, where Mike Tyson was at yeah. in, in that mix. So with Roy Jones Jr., I go from probably up until about 2003 when he becomes the heavyweight champion of the world from about 1993. For okay. 10 years, he was a freak, mate. Yeah, yeah. And that's all I want to know about. I don't want to know about the last 15 years when Enzo and Macarinelli were knocking him out. I don't want to know about that. Okay, well, the argument now then is what the fucking, how big is your snapshot got to be? Because you could take someone 12-month period and go, greatest of all time, look what he did in that 12 months. Right. In that 12-month period, he was absolutely fucking sensational. I'm going to make him the greatest of all time. I think it's hard just to do it as a snapshot. It is, though, you can't really do it as a snapshot. <laughs> that's why we do That's why we're in business. That's why we sit here and chat this, and there'll be people listening this is to why this the pound, the pound, This is why the pound for pound, the greatest of all time debate, really, it's, it's just all about who had the most impact on you, personally, who who you that's a good shot. enjoyed most Are of all. Are you using your brain? That, was, bit, yeah, that yeah. was really good. The impact they had on Profound. you. Anybody so, would think that you've edited and written in yeah, magazines all your exactly, life. Exactly. That yeah. was really good. So I'll write that down. I think, I think impact on you. I'll talk, use that somewhere else. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the best British fighter of all time then. You know, me personally. Frank I, Bruno. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> of the impact they had on you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you love pantomimes. Yeah, I do actually, yeah. So now, to for me, me personally, Naz, you know, I put Naz right up there because of the impact Naz had. But in terms of Body of work, legacy, what he did for the sport. Lennox Lewis is the greatest boxer Great Britain's ever produced. I don't think there's any real... Is there an argument about that? Probably I not. I don't think there is. Um, in terms of impact for a snapshot of years, look at the super middleweight division. We've had some amazing fighters there. Could you argue Joe Calzaghe wasn't the greatest we've ever produced, being in mind that he retired undefeated mm. and absolutely dominated, dominated the weight class? Mm. I, I, you know... There's so many ways to look at the pound for pound and the greatest of but all that's what time. That's it debate. so good because we can sit here all day and talking about this, and, and we'll take the whole show up and not even mention you, Mike Junior. <laughs> the beauty of it is, as well, you know, we'll put this show out and people come on going, "What the fuck are you on about?" Like people get so animated about their choice of the greatest of all time yeah. or their choice of the pound for pound. People get so angry about it hey. because it's such a personal thing. It's personal to you. It's personal to me. Did you see? Them? Obviously, my choice will be right. You, you'd probably be wrong. But did, did you? Uh, did you see them bell ends? 
that uh, tweet me every now and again when they talk, say that I'm talking absolute bollocks in the world of boxing. I don't know. Basically, is it, is it, on, is it me does it? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> some, some clowns that, I don't know, they're fucking some kids up in Scotland or something that send me a message every now and again, right, saying that I talk absolutely shit. However... Last week, we put a tweet out, didn't we, about the cruiserweight divisions, that nobody was talking about the cruiserweights up until yep. the World Boxing Super Series. Absolutely. That's not me saying that. That's not Nick saying that. That's fucking Callis Sowlin saying that. That's the, fucking everyone in the entire sport. The guy that organised the fucking tournament, he said that. Yeah. So we're now jumping on it going, yeah, to be fair, you are absolutely right. There wasn't a superstar in the cruiserweight division. Nope. Nobody was making any money in the nope. cruiserweight division. Okay, you little hardcore guys, were you, I don't know, sat there watching it on YouTube, having a wank every well, Saturday night. They were night. all super excited about it. Yeah, they were going, well, we were. We were talking about it for the last 20 years. It's the most exciting division. Fuck off. That's no, bollocks. There That's bollocks. There was no superstars in there. No, there wasn't. Now there, there is. There was multiple world champions with undefeated records. It made them absolutely most sense for the World Boxing Super Series to grow after the Cruiserweight division. But why do you think Tony Bell, you fucked off? There was, no no one, there was no money in the weight division. There was absolutely no money to be made because it m largely built on Eastern Europeans and non-English-speaking Cubans who were all absolute killers with killer records. And from the outside looking in, prior to World Boxing Super Series, reading the TED, you'd have gone, that, that division's kind of flatlining. Chances of seeing them fight each other, probably slim. Mm. You know, that guy's probably over there. This guy's probably over there. And it looked like the, the weight class was going nowhere. It was the World Boxing Super Series that has inspired this tournament. And anyone that comes out now and kind of goes, fucking hell, well, we've been talking about this for years. Suck my balls. You have, <laughs> have you, fuck? That is nonsense. <laughs> Suck my that is big, hairy, nonsense. fucking scouse exactly. balls. Mate, it's great. It's, it's easy to say it now. It's easy to say it now. And it, you know, it we is. could come on here and go, well, two years ago, we were telling you about Alexander Usk. We weren't. We were too busy fucking talking about Lomachenko. And in terms of, of, of Gassayev, we're too busy talking about fucking... Triple G, the guys who are out of the same camps. Yes, they're killers. Yes, we've seen it now. We've they've finally got a platform. We've gone, Noah, holy fuck. The cruiserweight division is the best division of boxing. We're all talking about it. But 12 months ago, no fucker was talking about it. And that's why Tony Bell, you left it. There was no one there. There was no fights. Seeing as you've just mentioned Lomachenko's name, mate, top rank have offered Jorge Linares over a million to get in the ring with the boy. And they're expecting it to be signed this week, right. May 12th. Madison Square Garden. Book your fucking holidays, lad. We're off. Do you know what? May as well. What have we... Do you know what? May could be the greatest month in the history of whale boxing. It's fucking... What? What date? May 12th. May 12th. So the Holy week... Holy shit! So, obviously the it's week... the day after. No, no, no. The week before. You've got... Okay. Week before. You've got Hey Bell, hey Bell U2, and then that followed by Triple G and Canelo 2. Beautiful. Absolutely. Then obviously you got that little bad boy in Linares against Lomachenko. No, no, whoa, 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 whoa. The night before, World Boxing Super Series Cruiserweight Final. All oh, right, yeah, yeah. In, yeah. in East, in the Middle East or whatever. Yeah, it is. that's right, that's right. Then the following night, potentially Lomachenko. It's happening against Linares. May twelfth, it's happening, right? And then the week after you got uh, Selby, Selby Warrington, Warrington, followed by Stevenson and Badger. Right. Following weekend to be confirmed this week, but I'll let the cat out of the bag. The 26th, that will be the final of the World Boxing Super Series yeah. Super Middleweight Tournament. My birthday weekend, just uh, just in case you want to get me a ticket. Unreal. Yeah, it's a proper week. Unreal. Proper month. What a it? month, Mayers. Yeah. What a month. Lomachenko, Linares. Fuck me, son. And there's a rumour knocking about that these lovely people at the World Boxing Super Series might be doing lightweights next year. <sighs> fancy Lomachenko having a go against them all? To be fancy. <laughs> Fucking come on. Do you know what then? What? It makes no sense to fight Linares now. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't really. 
Because the, the Linares fight, that needs knocking on the head because I want to see Linares in that tournament as well. But If they're going to do lightweights, I want to see Mikey Garcia, I want to see Lomachenko, I want to see Linares, and I want to see Robert Easter Jr. They're, they're the top four. Just imagine though, right, if if they not do not that fight on the head, they say, right, I'll tell you what, we're not going to do it because we're doing the World Boxing Super Series next year and lightweights. And yeah. Obviously, Loma, you've moved up, so you're going to be in it, right? Yeah. Lomachenko won't be a world champion. So someone's got to pick him. <laughs> yeah, but come on. Someone's got to pick Lomachenko. <laughs> Holy shit. Can you imagine that? Never has a ranking ever Fuck. counted for Fuck. so much. Whoever's going fourth, that's who's getting Lomachenko because <laughs> there's not one dude picking him. Yeah, but listen, imagine if they ranked it and Lomachenko was unranked. Never going to happen, by the way. Pound for pound, best no, no, no. on the planet. He has to be. He's got to be ranked. You can't rank him above a world champion. You are because he's <laughs> the best we've ever seen. But imagine then, um, but imagine, okay, let's say for argument's sake, Mikey Garcia gets ranked number one at lightweight, mm. and Lomachenko is in the unranked side of the door, and Mikey Garcia gets a big set of Mexican bollocks out, flops them on the desk and goes, Me and you, I'll son. take Lomachenko. Oh, man, that would be a very, very special moment. Mm. Uh, three weights, by the way, for the World Boxing Super Series next time round. Uh, fully anticipating bantamweight because they want to get into Asia and Africa. It just makes sense because bantamweight, if you look at the top ten of bantamweight, it's global. It's mm. got a global appeal. Mm. Plus, kind of like cruiserweight, there's no massive breakout star there. There's multiple really talented world champions, but there's no one that jumps off the page. And I just think it makes so much sense in terms of global appeal, range of champions, chances, and this is most important, They'll all be keen as fuck to sign for World Boxing Super Series. Because there's, there's no money in the lower weight no, categories. Because there's no massive money there. Exactly. Listen, they're never going to get... In my opinion, you're never going to do a heavyweight World Boxing Super Series. Certainly not in the first couple of years. Mm. Purely because there's 20 million there for the winner. Anthony Joshua doesn't get out of bed for 20 million. Mm. So you ain't going to get a heavyweight tournament. Mm. But these all the bantamweights, all them top 10 bantamweights combined, if they fought each other relentlessly all through next year, and they all had five fights in a year. Combined, they probably wouldn't earn 20 million. So whilst you mentioned mentioning Bantam Weights, I'm going to chuck this in, right? Ryan Burnett is going to be vacating that IBF belt. So he's currently the WBA and IBF champion. We saw him uh, taking on Zanat Zakianov in Belfast to be the first man to unify in that city. Um, now, he's going to be vacating that IBF belt. He's going to be defending his WBA belt on the Anthony Joshua undercard on March 31st, yeah. which then leaves open the trapdoor for Paul Butler to come in round the back against Emmanuel Rodriguez. And this is all really coming from Emmanuel Rodriguez, his manager. He's basically just said, yeah, this is fucking happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Emmanuel Rodriguez, Paul Butler, April 21st on the Amir Khan undercard for the IBF Bantamweight Championship, the belt that uh, uh, Paul lost to uh, Zelani Tete uh, a few years back. There you go, my man. Yeah, it, it's we great. all thought he was going down the WBA route because of uh, Solis and McDonald. McDonald, but <clears throat> like you, when you chatted to him on the on the yeah. show here, shit will get off the pot, and he hasn't done it, has he? No, exactly. Yeah. And you know what? I, I don't blame McDonald because yes, there's a lot of talk about him going up to super bantamweight, but until until there's a belt on the line, you don't give up a world title belt until you've got something secured. So I kind of think that's why they're thinking about it. I think they're also contemplating staying at bantamweight and maybe seeing how that goes there. So, Especially how... if there's a World Boxing Super Series coming. Well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Let's stick around because there's a load of money to be made. So, you know, I understand why Paul Butler's moved. Obviously, they're, they're managed by the same promoter in Frank Warren, promoted by the same promoter, sorry, in Eddie Hearn. So Eddie Hearn's obviously had a word with Ryan Burnett. He's given up the belt. That allows Paul Butler to fight for the vacant belt. No doubt, it prob- he's probably said to Burnett, just give it up. Have your WBA fight on on the undercard, and then whoever wins it, you can fight it again. 
Otherwise, why would Burnett get? You know, he had yeah, that amazing night in Belfast where 100%. he unified, where he got two belts when he beat uh, Triple Z mm. and looked sensational. Well, doing what happens as he adds two mandatories, so he has to fight them both back to back. Yeah, yeah. So, so he gives it, up the double. It holds him up. He's exactly. Fight, he's fighting shit fights. Yeah, yeah. If we're honest, so he's yeah. going to do the Anthony Joshua on the card, and then if Paul Butler comes through that, it kind of sets him up quite nicely. And imagine them two meeting in the World Boxing Super Series. Exactly. But well, you know what? Imagine them two. Uh, meeting full stop, either yeah. in Liverpool or in or in back in Ireland. Mm. It's a massive fight. Two mm. more world champions. I think it makes perfect sense. I f- again, I feel a bit for Burnett because nobody wants to give up a world title. But look at the bigger picture here. Mm. He still keeps his world title. He fights on AJ's undercard. He makes good money, and then the w- hopefully, if Butler comes through and becomes a world champion, there's a cracking domestic showdown to be made. No, absolutely. Uh, Chisora versus Takam May the fifth on the Bell Uhey undercard is uh, what I'm hearing as well. Even though Chisora kind of shook hands with Joe Joyce uh, a couple of weeks ago to uh, to get that fight on. Chisora Takam's all right actually, but yeah. I don't really see the major point of it because I don't anticipate Chisora gunning for world titles anytime soon yeah. and I would class Takam after his performance against Joshua as a bit of a gatekeeper and maybe someone like Dillian or something like that maybe should be taking on him to see where he's at because yeah. I would think with Dillian being a younger fighter he's got more yeah. of an opportunity to, to come at some point I think the thing is that one Dillian's tied up in a fight with Lucas anyway so um Eddie's probably said to Takam listen you had a fucking good go at AJ people remember that there's a chance for you here Let's get you on on the card so people can see you again and put yourself back in the mix. So Takam will bite his hand off to fight anywhere near AJ so or within the AJ sphere mm. because he had such a good first effort when he coming at late notice. The second thing to remember is Eddie Hearn hates David Hay. David Hay hates Eddie Hearn. So what's the best thing to do to fuck David Hay up and give him a good, you know, drop your ball bag on his head? <laughs> you, you tie up Chisora with the fight against Takam. A, a, a fight that on paper... Chisora probably loses. So it takes away the the the, gl- the glamour of a Joe Joyce fight at this stage. It screws up David A's promotion, just what Eddie Earn likes to do sometimes. So mm. that, I think there's an element of that involved as well. Plus Chisora's probably getting decent money. And listen, you don't have to sell that to Chisora. Mm. Do you want to fight this one fight absolute novice, but is on a tear to, to, to make a quick move for himself and basically end your career because he's a one fight novice? Or do you want to fight the guy that just pushed Anthony Joshua right to the well? Mm no-brainer mm. uh, and it will probably be the headline because David is not making that ring walk as we keep telling you yeah, on a absolutely. on a week-to-week basis even though he's looking mint and he's in the gym and he's doing his thing I, do you know what I just can't get excited about it Adam I can't get excited about it because I was devastated in December when it got pulled even though psychologically we you both know Tony Bellew was not in the right frame of mind I think this will only play into Tony Bellew's hands but I think David Hayes shot himself in the foot by, you know, not pushing it through when he could. I know he was injured and everything else, but I just think when he gets to see Tony Bellew over the next few weeks as they sit down and start talking again, because at the moment we've seen nothing of Bellew. Bits on his Instagram where he's training. Dave Caldwell's Instagram. He's not really done any big interviews. He's done bits for Sky, but he's not really been involved. Whereas Hayes putting out these little propaganda videos on his social media all the time. My muscle's amazing. I've just flew in from Miami. I've just done this. You know, living that lifestyle that kind of most fans look up to and go, wow, that's what it's about being a professional boxer. That's not what it's about. It's about grind. It's about being in the gym. It's about working hard. And that's what Tony Bellew's doing. Mm. So I think when Bellew and Hay come back together again and Hay sees how switched on Bellew is, I think that's when we'll see. Uh, we'll start in the injury talk once again. I'm trading you in for him, actually, at the weekend. Who? Hey. B- Bomber. 
Ben, oh yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he's my favourite scouser. You're my second favourite. I don't blame him. He's, he's my favourite scouser yeah, as well. So trading in, it's not a problem. He's doing a bit of commentary. Just don't tell my wife you can do that trading because uh, <laughs> she might go for that herself. <laughs> in being at Evertonian and there being at Evertonian, yeah, you know, yeah. wouldn't. Uh... That's all for the World Boxing Super Series, by the way, this weekend. Uh, Eubank Junior. Hopefully becoming, in my opinion, a legitimate uh, world champion. None of this IBO stuff on this show. You know how it is. Even WBA regular doesn't get a proper mention on this no. show. Uh, Groves Eubank Jr., Manchester World Boxing Super Series. Can't and, wait. Mate, this is Can't amazing. Wait. It really is amazing. I know that there'll be people out there going, oh, shut up, picking it up and going OTT about it. They're not that good and all this type of shit. What are you talking about, man? This is what it's all about. The World mm-hmm. Boxing Super Series, super middleweight, semi-final. <sighs> I'm going to, well, I, I don't I don't want to go all balls deep right now and tell you exactly how I think this is going to play out. But this is what the World Boxing Super Series is about. Getting lads like this yeah. to fight each other. Of course. Whereas politics sometimes gets in the way and stops us from seeing the best fighting the best. There's no way that this fight would be happening without the World Boxing Super Series. So hats off to everybody. We're going to get a cracker on Saturday night. I absolutely think we, do, we are, you know. I know it's easy to say that now and everyone's getting carried away talking about it and getting excited, but... From the outside looking in, it just feels like we're going to get something a bit special. We've had 10 fights so far in the World Boxing Super Series and everyone has lived up to expectation. The one-sided fights ended one-sidedly. The, the close fights, the 50-50 fights have been absolute contenders for fight of the year. And I just think going into this fight this weekend, it's a close one. It, it, it's kind of like a pick and fight. You know, it really is 50-50. I think a lot of people involved in the industry are going with George Groves. But I think the bookies are going with Eubank Jr. So you've got there's got to be some kind of element in that. I think from a fan's perspective, again, it's kind of like a pick and fight. What do you like? What do you do? You think experience and power and size, Mate. is going to count, or do you think youth and timing and the fact that he's fucking Eubank G- Senior's son yeah. and has been mentally programmed to become something a bit Seek special and destroy? Absolutely. Listen, everything. If we write everything down. On this, right? And we were going to go, right, size, experience, power, uh, bot technique, all that type of stuff. We're writing it all down. Every single thing you would tick on George Groves' side. Yeah. Better jab, better boxer. Massive compared to the... what you He's would... big. He's not fucking massive. He's not Callum Mate. Smith. He's not Callum Smith no, size he's, for he's, this weight division. He's but not... he's, a, he's a big super middleweight. Mate, he's fighting a fucking middleweight. He's not yeah. a super middleweight. He's, he's, a, he's a big super middleweight. He's not a massive super middleweight. Compared to Eubank Jr. He's big. Right, thank you very much. He's bigger. Size, tick, groves. Be yes. interesting to see what they weigh in on the night, though. Obviously, they've both got to make 12 stone. They've both got to make 168 pounds on mm. Friday. But it'll be interesting on Saturday night to see what they're weighing. Because I don't think Groves puts a massive amount of weight on. Not like Callum Smith. I think Callum Smith can put the best part of 8 to 10 pounds on, which in boxing terms is quite a lot. Mm. I just don't. I don't think George Groves packs that much on. Certainly at this age, stage in his career as well, he doesn't want to slow himself down too much. Mm. I think Eubank Junior will probably put about four pound on, which is you know because he isn't a massive super middleweight. I don't know. George I get Groves. what you're saying. On paper, George Groves should win the should fight. win the fight. Yeah, and I think that's why the industry is going that way. Yeah, they're going with experience. It's not on paper, mate. Absolutely right. So this is what I'm going to say, and this is my prediction for it. Right. 
George Groves has four rounds to knock him out. Yeah. He has to stop him. Everybody keeps telling me, oh, George Groves, better boxer, better jab. He's going to do him on points. And he could do. He could, that, this is the thing. This is the, where the debate is. I mean, you'll be doing this at home with, with your mates having a bit of a chat about this. This is what the debate will be. George Groves could accumulate a lot of points from up until maybe the sixth or seventh round. Yeah. Because you know Eubank Jr. is coming at some point. You know that he's going to come at some point. Is George Groves going to be, first of all, far enough in front and be able to stay in front and stay in the fight in order to win on points? I personally don't think he will be. No. So I'm going to go, George Groves has four rounds to knock him out. He's got the power. He can do it. He's got four rounds to knock him out. If he doesn't knock him out in four rounds, I think he's going to get dragged into a fight and Eubank Jr. is going to stop him in the 10th. That's wow. where I'm going. Jeez. And I'm going to favour the second prediction there because I don't think George Groves is going to knock him out. No. Eubank Jr. has never been knocked out. And I just think all this talk of the sparring sessions that they used to have and you know Eubank Jr. saying he did this and that and, and obviously Groves saying he was taking it easy because he was a kid and all that. I just think this sport, much more I think than other sports as well, is all about timing. And I think right now, Eubank Jr. goes into this fight red hot. You know, he's the one that had the standout performance for me in this in the quarterfinals of this tournament. He's the one that went to Germany, fought Yildirim, walked into the Lions' den. They were spitting at him, throwing coffee cups at him and everything. And he didn't give a fuck. He was unfazed. He marched to that ring and he absolutely did a number on the most dangerous guy in the opposite side of the draw. The most, the de- most dangerous unranked super middleweight in this tournament. Eubank Jr. fucking nailed him and nailed him good. And he sent a message out to the whole rest of this tournament saying, I'm here. I'm much more than a middleweight, a blown up middleweight. I'm the IBO champion, whether you like it or not. And I'm coming here to win this entire tournament. George Groves, the flip side of that, stops a stoppage of his own. But one round later, against Jamie Cox, a blown up middleweight, blown up light middleweight, blown up welterweight, whatever you want to call Jamie Cox. Um, the easiest pick of the tournament, let's be honest with you. I just think, and I look beyond that as well, you know, Eubank Jr. going into the Yildirim fight, he had the win over Arthur Abram, which is a massive win against a very experienced opponent. He's proved that he's moved on. He's proved that he's got the experience now. Before that, Quinlan, the late knockout, the late knockout against him, Tim Rounder. You know, he's coming into this fight with all the momentum going forward. He's younger, he's fresher, he's hungrier. I just think George Groves, for me, and I love George Groves, you know, but I was went into the second frotch fight with my George Groves fucking t-shirt on. Disgusted that he was robbed in the first fight because the referee made the worst stoppage call ever. When he had that win in the bank, that was when he should have become world champion first time around. Then they had the massive rematch at Wembley and he got caught with an absolute peach of a right hook. And for me, George Groves has never quite been the same since that frotch right hand. He's mm. never quite been the same. Yes, he had a thrilling fight with Badu Jack, and he's come back. He's won fights since at domestic level. Um, he looked all right against Gutnecht when he won the interim title. Then he went into the world title with Chudanov, fourth or fifth world title shot, whatever it was. And he's losing against Chudanov. Watch that fight back. He's losing that fight. He's being outworked by Chudanov. He looked like he was in trouble. The gas tank was starting to fail. Then he lands a big shot, which is what Groves has got. He's got an equaliser. He lands a big shot. He gets Chudanov in trouble and he finishes the fight. Then the Jamie Cox things happen. I just think he comes into this for me. George Groves comes into this fight coming down the mountain. He's coming down the mountain. He's done it. He's achieved all he's had to achieve. When I don't know whether being motivated mm. enough to win this tournament. Do you know what? 
The, the biggest problem, Ian, is the fact that it's Eubank Jr. If this is James DeGale and he's still world champion and it's a massive fight and everyone's going, fucking hell, can't, I think Groves, the motivation, the desire will get him there. I think Eubank Jr., he believes he's above Eubank Jr., and that, for me, is going to catch up with him because I think he, he believes he can get rid of Eubank Jr. in six rounds when... When he still stood there after six, his arse will go. I think Groves will he will he will be exhausted then, and he will be outworked. He will get punished, and he will get stopped. And with you, doesn't go past ten rounds. So we, nobody sees the final bell. No, definitely not. And you're on the side of Eubank Junior. Yeah, we've had it, a little it, bit of a loving for Eubank Junior on the show. We? we are unfortunately. And you but, know what? But, but, My anything- thing is. Go back to the start of this tournament, and the two of us fucking couldn't say a nice thing about him. More than, more based on the fact that the way his, him and his dad were doing the business, yep. they were doing the ITV deal themselves, they were on pay-per-view before they were even in this fucking tournament. Mm. He's fighting for the IBO belt, which you get on the back of a fucking box of cornflakes, and it's supposed to be pay-per-view on ITV. We were pissed off about it. We were fuming. Come into this tournament, he was our least favourite fighter in the tournament just because of the way he was doing his business. But because of the way he's performed, because of the way the tournament's set up, timing is everything. George Groves gets knocked out. And you know what? Do you know on that, by the way? There's a big fight for George Groves anyway. Who the fuck else has just lost a world title fight? Yeah, there is, there is. But regarding the Eubank Jr. thing, and yeah, you, you are right. We on this show have been like going, what are they What are they doing? The pay-per-view thing. I mean, all right, maybe the pay-per-view thing isn't necessarily they're doing because ITV box office have kind of dropped a little bit of a bollock with yeah, it. Yeah, but, but they're involved. They're the Eubanks need to be paid. Of course. So that's why they've they're had to involved. do pay-per-view. The fingers are in there. Of course they are, right? And the way that they've gone about the management, the training regime, the promotional aspects, all these things were, is very alien to traditional boxing Modern day boxing, all right? Yep. Normally, you would have a fighter, he has a promoter, promoter promotes you. Okay, promoter takes a large slice of that, and all yep. these types of things. And they're the reasons why Chris Eubank Sr. is heavily involved in uh, his lad's career. And you can't knock him for that aspect of it. But when we were discussing it maybe a year ago, we were like, going, What are you doing? We want to see more of Eubank Jr. We're not getting to see more of him. He's being held back, he's, being, he's behind this pay per view wall. Nobody's yep. really getting to see him do his thing. However, now, Right, hindsight is a wonderful thing, and foresight. Yeah, takes it takes an awful amount of foresight to do what they've done. It seems like they've sat down, mapped out a plan, and gone right. How do we get from here to here? Okay, it might take us five years, but how do we get from here to here? They've mapped it out. They've taken the time. They've gone a little bit slower than usual, but now we're at a point where, at the weekend, every all of us could just go. Ah, I see what you were doing now. Mm-hmm. The penny drops. Yeah. Fair play to Team Eubank, whoever's in charge of it. I'm guessing it's senior. Um, but fair play to, for, to them for having the foresight of taking a little bit of a chance, a little bit of a risk, going off the beaten path, not the normal traditional route. And then we land ourselves in a position at the weekend where if he knocks out George Groves and becomes the WBA champion of the world, because that's what's on the line. Forget yep. the semi-final, he becomes the WBA champion of the world. Yeah. You've got to take your hat off and go, fucking hell, man. You're a lot cleverer than the majority of dudes out there. You've, yeah. t- you've taken from A to B. Okay, it's taken a different path, but fair play. Well, if they knew this tournament was coming about, then you get it. Otherwise, I think they took a big chance too early in his career. You know, Eubank Senior needed body here and he needed matchroom to get him where he was. And yes, he's looked and gone, well, I can do that. I can steer Junior's career my own way. But they wouldn't but, have had a TV had... deal. The ITV thing wasn't, you know, I've never seen the numbers, but I can't imagine there was oh, shit. tens of thousands of people paying to watch and fight for an IBO and title. And that's why we were slagging it off, because Eubank made his name on ITV when there was millions of people watching on free telly. Absolutely. 
And that's why we were having a go, because we were going, why are you sticking it behind the paywall? Put it on ITV4. Exactly. And, and smash it. Yeah. It's like the Cruiserweight tournament last week. It felt like everybody watched the semi-final because it turned up on ITV4. Mm. But they didn't even announce that either. Even on last week's show, we were saying, don't miss the Cruiserweight semi this weekend. It's free to air. It's on ITV box office, yeah. but it's free. And then they go and put it on ITV4. It's like, what the fuck is going on? That's the, this is the problem with this tournament. It mm, needs a definitive yeah. home because it hasn't got a home and that's a problem. Mm. But in terms of the way they've micromanaged his career, yes, it looks like it could pay off hugely this weekend. Yes, ITV could go, fuck, we back the right horse here, guys. He's just done a number on George Groves and it's all hunky-dory. But beyond that, it's like we've still restricted ourselves behind this box office right. window. So what you're saying is that it's a little bit of a fluke. A little bit. I honestly I believe think, that. I think if, let's go back two or three years then, and let's say Eubank Jr. signs a promotional deal with Eddie Hearn, for instance. We've just had two years of him being a superstar on Sky Sports. I think he's a bigger star now than even George Groves. Yet he goes into this tournament, st- still probably more people, I would argue, know George Groves is. Um, yes, they do the TV. Well, he's always on Good Morning Television and all that. Mm. Eubank Senior gets that. He gets it to... It's not about selling yourself to boxing fans. Boxing fans, no. It's about selling yourselves to the rest. Yeah, It's the bigger industry now. It's it's mainstream pop culture you've got to sell yourself to. And that's why he's always on Instagram, training like a lunatic. Because you go, wow, aspirational. That's incredible. And he, he get they get that probably better than anybody. But I still believe that if he'd have been on a mainstream boxing broadcaster for free the last few years, he would be a bigger star than he is now. And he could still have entered this tournament. He could still have done well in his tournament. Callum Smith's in this tournament and he's a matchroom fighter. Hmm. So, I don't know. There's two ways to look at it. I think they got a little bit lucky, but maybe maybe it's not about luck. Maybe it's about the fact that they created that. he positioned himself they was in the right place, it. right hmm. time. And for all we know, ITV could have gone to World Boxing Super Series. Okay, you're trying to get a host broadcaster. We'll do it. But our only signing, our only guy that we're really pushing is Chris Eubank Jr. And he has to so we it. want to see him in the tournament. That mm. may well have happened. Mm, maybe. I, I just think that it's a, a little bit of a stroke of genius. And there'll be other people looking at this now and going, well, hang on a minute. Why do I need to do this? Why do I need to do that? Maybe I can go off the beaten track a little bit yep. and uh, and get to my end goal. It might take a little bit more time, but yes, yes, sound. Because um, don't forget, McGuigan did that with Frampton as well. Yeah. You know, that's how Frampton got there. He didn't necessarily have a, a massive promoter behind him. But he, what he did have, he had a shrewd mind in Barry McGuigan who was able to set up independent TV deals for Carl Frampton. So it's increasing how it... It's it's increasing, if you like, on how it's being done and the options out there for fighters. But I think it's a bigger risk because all your eggs are in one basket. There isn't a support network of a big promoter of a mainstay boxing TV channel behind you. You kind of go on fight by fight by fight. Mm. This week is going to be uh, must view TV, must listen to radio, must listen to podcasts, must watch social media. It's unbelievable. It's caught everybody's imagination. George Groves, uh, Chris Eubank Jr., Manchester um, on Saturday evening is going to be an absolute barnstorm. And myself and Nick are in Manchester all this week uh, doing various bits of videos and uh, podcasts and shows and various things like that. So keep an eye on all our social medias at Fight Disciples because we'll keep you up to date. Uh, with everything that is going on with that. It's kind of quite apt as well that the coming-of-age fight for Eubank Jr. is in Manchester, where his dad 
came of age yeah. in the uh, early 90s when he fought Nigel Bennett uh, at Old Trafford. Yeah, absolutely. And even before that, when he beat him in nine rounds in the yeah. first fight, and then obviously the second fight was a draw, but that was the coming of age of Chris Eubank Sr. It really was. That was a, that was kind of like his, his massive breakthrough moment. You know, obviously the first fight, but the second fight kind of solidified it, you know, because there was still talk of it being a fluke or an off night for Nigel Ben and all that. And he proved the second time around in Manchester that it was anything but, and that was the string, but, you know, the springboard before. For him to become the number one super middleweight in Britain, to take that reins off Nigel Ben, so it is kind of fitting that Eubank Jr. is going back to the same city to do it. And again, same with Nigel Ben. I just think it's about timing. It's about being the right fighter in the right place at the right time. And this tournament, as incredible as it's been, may well be the right tournament with the right opponents, with the right layout for Chris Eubank Jr. to do it. You know, he was ranked. Was in number three or number four in this tournament, which, which set yeah. up obviously the the semi final scenario with George Groves. Mm. I think if he's if he's ranked number four rather than number three or whatever it was, mm. and he has to fight Callum Smith in the semi final, I've got a completely different conversation going on. I believe Callum Smith's too big. He's a massive massive super middleweight, too big, too technical, too young, too fresh for Chris Eubank Unit to have that kind of to impose himself like that. Plus Callum Smith. Massively underrated fighting on the inside, something that Eubank Jr. loves to do. I think George Groves on his way down the mountain, Eubank Jr. is on his way up the mountain. I just think that everything about this tournament has set itself up perfectly for Chris Eubank Jr. to make a massive, massive mark on his career this weekend. Get it as kids in sweet shops. I'm sure that's coming through uh, the speakers as you're listening to this. Thank you so much for uh, paying attention to us. There's only one fight to watch this weekend and it is the World Boxing Super Series semi-final uh, between uh, Groves and Eubank Jr. Keep an eye on all our social medias at Fight Disciples on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, And you can also subscribe to us on iTunes, Fight Disciples, and you can get us on uh, Android as well via our website, fightdisciples.com. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.